You've just heard from the choir the eloquent message of Isaiah chapter 6, the calling of the prophet Isaiah. Now we turn further into the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Beginning to read at verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out! And I said, What shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of his, this portion of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. The message this morning is entitled, Comfort for the Chastened Child. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we... Each of us have need of your comfort and presence, and we ask that your Holy Spirit may work its work within our inner man, that we may be strengthened with the confidence of your care. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Can you imagine anything worse than having to put your own child out of the house? Sometimes it happens, you know. The child becomes so rebellious, so resistant to any form of authority that the child must be put out of the house. So it was with Israel. The child had to be put out of the house. God had given Israel Palestine, but for hundreds of years they insisted upon rebellion and the worship of idols. And so finally, God put them out of the house. God drove them into exile, into Babylon, and into Assyria. What about you? 
you're not guilty of idolatry, but the word of God says covetousness is idolatry. The only reason the people of the old covenant times worshipped idols is because they thought that thereby they could manipulate God and so get richer crops and more things. Do you live with discontent, which is idolatry? Do you continue with a heart of discontent because of your covetousness? God may chasten you just as he chastened his people Israel. It was in that circumstance that Isaiah the prophet spoke these words of comfort to his chastened son. Israel, driven into the wilderness, was given this message in anticipation of their exile. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. God raises no spoiled brat children. God's children don't get what they want by going around the house pouting and moping. Ever seen pouting Christians? God dealt with Israel for their sin. But now seeing them in their pain and in their anxiety, he comes and he offers a word of comfort to them. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Say to her that her hard service, that is her servitude, to sin has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now we know that God would not ever actually perform an injustice. God would not punish someone double for what they deserved for their sin. Isaiah is simply saying God has given them a large and abundant chastening. Their heart has been crushed within They're very sad and dejected because God has chastened them for their sin. Now, when you consider that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, suffered for sinners, then you can say in an even more meaningful way, we have suffered double for our sins. Not because of what he suffered, but because of who he was that suffered. The Son of God suffered For your sins if you believe in him. If you trust Jesus Christ as your savior from sins. You can rest assured that God is satisfied. Justice has been done. The Lord will chasten the believer indeed for his sins. But he will never again judge that person as unworthy of being his son. The comfort of the Lord's arms are always open to those who trust in him. You can come, no matter what your circumstances, no matter how great the need may be, and find the comfort of the Lord. Now notice secondly that Isaiah presents the place of comfort. And the place is not exactly where you might imagine it. The prophet says in verse 3, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. The God of comfort meets his chastened sons where they are. While they still are smarting from his discipline, he takes the first step. Many times it's the parent who first gently opens that closed door where the child is weeping 
And it is the father or the mother that goes in and offers comfort to the child that is in sorrow for chastening. Have you experienced God's comfort even in the wilderness? You look back over the early years of your youth and you hurt, you sting because of the folly of the sin that you committed as youth. You abused your body, you neglected your mind, or pride lifted you up to a point of being an overachiever and you're suffering even today for that. Comfort begins in the desert. Where you are right now, you can experience the comfort of the Lord our God. Out in the desert where you feel such need, God can begin his comfort. Now, what is the origin of that comfort? What do you expect to find and where is it going to come from? Well, Isaiah the prophet says, a voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Here's the message that needs to be shouted. If people who are hurting are going to get any comfort, this is the message that they must hear. And it's not a message that is readily received. For the prophet must be told, cry out this message. What is the message? All men are as grass. And all the glory of men are as the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. That is the message that men must hear. Put the emphasis on the all. All men are as grass. The whole traditional understanding of human history builds on the greatness of men. The great Caesar, the great Alexander, the great Napoleon, Washington the Great. But all men are like grass. And their glory, yes, it's there. It's in great splendor for a while. But it's like the flowers of the field. The grass withers. The flowers fall. The prophet repeats it again. The grass withers. The flowers fall. Just as each new generation rises to its peak of achievement, just as each new civilization seems to have come to its great hour of conquest, then it becomes clear that there is a worm at the root. And that civilization already is beginning to corrupt and fall. The glories attached to human achievement are not worth striving for. Don't pay the price of human pride. Don't be deceived. Human praise is a bloodsucker. If you succumb, it will sap you of the strength of life itself. Pride and glory in man is like a ring around a tree that ultimately is going to kill the whole of the tree. Why does the glory of man fade? Why does it pass away? The prophet says the grass withers and the flowers fade because the breath of the Lord 
blows on them. They would fade fastly enough or rapidly enough on their own. Flowers fade overnight like the daylily. It's there in glory for a day, but then it's gone. You go to the locker room of the champions just an hour after they've celebrated their glory, and what do you find? If you can speak to the hearts of those people, you will find the most depressed, saddest people that you have ever seen. The glory of man, however, doesn't fade just on its own. The breath of the Lord blows. God keeps blowing on the glory of man. The hot desert Sirocco, of which Palestine was familiar, can come and just dry up a whole beautiful valley. The freezing cold wind can come in and can freeze animals to death in a matter of a few hours. God keeps pruning men in the hour of glory. He sets them aside. He calls them to the end. But, says the prophet, the word of our God endures forever. Just the breath of God's word that you might think is very fragile and would disappear very quickly. The word that the Lord speaks, it endures forever. And if you will put your faith and trust and order your life according to the patterns of the word of God, then the things that you achieve, they will endure forever and forever and forever. If you are intent upon giving the glory to God and submitting yourself to his word, then the work of your hands will not be subject to the fading glory of men. This week in prayer meeting, the clerk of session was describing a man who opened a new business. All the merchants came to have a welcoming party, and one of them pulled him aside and said, Well, you'll do fine, but not so long as you have that sign in your front window. It said, Closed on Sunday. That's our biggest day, don't you know? A few years later, only one of those merchants had survived. And it was the one with the sign in the window, closed on Sunday. Put your faith in the word of God. Put your trust in what his word says. Remember the comforting words of the Lord Jesus Christ? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All of you who are feeling the burden of life. Come unto me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And what is Jesus' yoke? Learn from me that I, even I, the Son of God, am meek and lowly in heart. And then you will find rest for your souls. If you're seeking rest, comfort from the burdensome character of life, then take on the yoke of Jesus, which is that he is humble and lowly in mind. And then you shall find rest for your souls. The origin of comfort is in the glorification of God and in the humility of man. Cry it aloud. All flesh is as grass, but the word of our God endures forever. But when is this comfort going to come? How long must we wait? You've never seen air. 
You really don't want to see air. In some smog-ridden areas, you can see air. You can even smell it in certain parts of this country. But it's not very pleasant. You're not supposed to see air. And you've never seen God. And you really should not want to see God. You shouldn't be waiting around until you can see something and say, Aha, that is God. I know he's finally here. You would have a real problem if you saw God, for no man has ever seen God. Some have seen a theophany, a manifestation of a little portion of the glory of God, but no man has ever seen God. And yet God is now here. God is already present in our midst. The prophet says in verses 9 and following, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings. What are the good tidings? He's going to tell you in a minute. Lift it up. Lift up your voice. Say to the towns of Judah, Behold, your God. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He's already here. The Lord Jesus said, I will send you another comforter. I will send you another comforter. And he shall abide with you. He shall dwell in you. The Lord Jesus is here. He has come. And he is the God of all comfort. Verse 11 tells you a little bit more about the comfort that he gives. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tenderest care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy folds prepare. We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Keep thy flock from sin. Defend us. Seek us when we go astray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear thy children when they pray. Blessed Jesus, hear thy children when they pray. However complex may be your circumstances, However heavy may seem to be your burden, the God of comfort is here. The need for comfort, it arises many times out of God's chastening his own people for their sin. The place, it's in the wilderness. It begins out there where you're in your deepest need. The origin comes from giving glory to God. And the time of arrival, it is already here. Finally, the prophet, in order to stir up your faith and give you confidence that God is, as a matter of fact, able to provide you comfort, describes for you the God of all comfort. Now, at this point, Isaiah wants to be sure that you get involved and you understand his message and you participate in this word that he's given you. Now, a teacher can use a variety of devices to get his students' attention and be sure they're perceiving what he's trying to communicate. Dr. J. Gresham Machen, the founder of Westminster Seminary, used to 
stand on his head and recite Greek paradigms in order to keep his students' attention. As they watched his mouth working upside down, that, that kept their attention there for a little while anyway. Dr. Cornelius Van Til used to smoke chalk in class, and it, when it got short enough, he would throw it at an inattentive pupil, and so they would suddenly be caught up and ready to listen a little bit more. A yo-yo works fine if the string is long enough to catch someone who may be dozing a little bit in class. But a more civil way to be sure your students are with you is to ask a question or two. Don't just let them ask all the questions. You ask a question every now and then. And that's what Isaiah the prophet does. Notice all the questions. See if you can answer these questions. He begins, first of all, with questions about God the Creator. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand has marked off heavens. Who's taken just a span of his hand and gone all the way across the heavens and measured it? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Have you been out on one of the tributaries that enters into the Chesapeake on a stormy day recently? You look over the edge of that boat and you notice that swell. It seems to start way down and begins to come up again. And then it goes down again and it comes up again. And you can see that there is a depth of water that is beneath. Who is it that is able to take all of that water? That's just a tributary entering into the Chesapeake. You're not even out in the ocean yet. Who can measure the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who can measure out the sky with a span? Or who can take the mountains, take the Himalayas and weigh them over against the Rockies and situate them right where he wants them on the continents? Who has balanced them? Only God. You may feel your life is a little lopsided, but the God of all comfort is balancing everything in your life perfectly. For the second set of questions, Isaiah asks some questions about God as the sustainer of the world. Who has understood the spirit of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Who tells God how the nations are to rise or to fall? He says, surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were dust. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. All the massive populace of the world are as nothing to him because of his greatness. Man's great problem is pride. The reason a man receives no comfort is pride. The only cure to pride is a perception of the glory of God who sustains the whole of the earth as though it were nothing. Thirdly, he asks a question or two about the very essence of God. Look at his essence in comparison with an idol. And he talks about the idol that the rich man makes and covers it with gold and silver. The idol that the poor man makes and covers with wood. They're only idols. They can't speak. 
They chain them down, says the prophet. They try to get them on a good stand so they won't fall over. And that's the God that they worship. Is that the one to whom you shall compare God? Is that his essence? Sometimes a husband may have more affection for his wife than for God. He may put her and what she wants above what God wants. That's an idol. But the ironic thing is that man may lose the affection of his wife quicker than the one who puts God and his glory first. To whom will you compare me? Consider God in his essence as attested by the glory of the stars that he has made. The prophet says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, no one of them is missing. Astronomers tell us that our galaxy contains 100,000 million stars. The diameter of our galaxy, where our sun is located, is approximately 80,000 light years across. Now, one light year is six million million miles. So our galaxy is approximately 500,000 million million miles across. And our whole galaxy is spiraling at a rate of 600,000 miles an hour. Yet everything stays in its place. He says to all those stars, you stay right there and orders them. The nearest galaxy to our own is Andromeda, which is 1.5 million light years away. A little blur up by the Big Dipper. If you were to leave Earth on a trip this afternoon to go to Andromeda, traveling on a light beam that is about 11 million miles a minute, it would take you a million and a half years to get to Andromeda, which is the nearest galaxy to our own. This nearest galaxy looks like a little fuzz up there in the heavens, and it contains tens of thousands of millions of stars. It's much larger than our own galaxy. Now, that's just the nearest galaxy to our own. The strongest telescope on Earth can detect a hundred million galaxies. So that tiniest little speck in the sky that you see at night might be a cluster of galaxies. And the prophet says, he brings them out one by one. One, he calls them all by name. They each are situated in the heavens according to his ordering and not one of them is missing because of his great power. To whom will you liken God? Well, the scriptures tell you that you can liken him to Jesus because Jesus is God incarnate. 
And God was expressing his desire to care for his people. God was willing to lay down his life, considering each one of those who would trust him through all the hundreds of years that this life has existed. Thinking of each one by name as he died, he was considering all of you who trust in him. And that leads to the final questions of Isaiah. Why do you say, my way is hidden from my God? How could it be? How can you say, my cause is disregarded by my God? My car won't start this morning, so my way is hidden from my God. She accepted his proposal rather than mine, so my way has been disregarded by my God. Do you not know, do you not understand that God, the creator of the ends of the earth, never grows tired. He never grows weary. He understands your weakness. He considers your frame. Hope in the Lord. Wait for this great God. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Even in a time of frustration and calamity. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Comfort ye. Comfort ye. My people. Let us pray. Lord our God, reveal to us a little of your greatness and your glory that we may find comfort in our time of distress. Help each one of your people bearing many burdens to know that you care for them. Give to us a greater patience to wait on the Lord and to rejoice in his presence in our midst. Let your Holy Spirit wonderfully, tenderly, graciously nourish and strengthen us in all our needs. For we ask in Christ's name, amen.